Welcome back to SUPFM, and this week we've got Dave Cornthwaite, an adventurer by trade. Nobody on the planet has travelled further than Dave Cornthwaite on a stand-up paddleboard in one journey. As far as we know, this is still true today, but he paddled 2,404 miles down the Mississippi River. Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Good day, Dave. It's great to have you on SUP FM. Thanks so much for spending the time to come on. It's my pleasure. It's good to be here. That's great. So what are you doing at the moment? Have you just, um, apparently you've just flown back from the States or what? Yeah, I landed back in Heathrow uh, about two hours ago. Uh, I've just made it back to my apartment in London. and um, I've been in the States for a couple of different reasons. I was running a, a short expedition down the Mississippi River as part of the Exploring Mindset series that I've been doing uh, for four years. And then I was just in Boston launching a brand new expedition. That's crazy, because we're going to obviously talk about the Mississippi uh, sub trip that you did in 2011 today. But before you do that, um, and you know, you seem to have designed, designed yourself an incredible life. I think you said yourself one of your most exciting projects ever is coming up soon. So tell us about the Yesterville. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I swam down the bottom half of the Missouri River and I had a team with me. And uh, before that expedition, I decided that we'd have a kind of a team uniform. And rather than having Missouri River expedition on the shirts, I, I came up with a message that I guess has been my motto and the the summary of basically how I've been living this really cool life for the last 10 years and it was say yes more uh, ever since then I've wanted to put on a, a festival but until now I haven't had the time and I'm glad to say that between the 23rd and the 25th of October just south of London in a farm uh, I'm hosting the first Yesterval which is I wow. guess a celebration of all things positive adventurous thinking um, how to make a living doing stuff you love and I've pulled in favors from all of my adventurous friends so we've got a lineup of over 30 great speakers and um, yeah, it's looking it good. Must, must be a nightmare to organise that. Um, I wouldn't say nightmare. It's definitely a, a heck of a lot of work. Um, but I'm I'm learning a lot. I've never put together an event like this before, so I'm learning a lot from it. I've got a really good team who uh, is comprised of people who I met this summer alone um, through through the Say Yes More Yes tribe. So um, it's looking really cool. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's it's definitely going to be worth it. I can visualise 200 people walking across the fields to to the marquee now and ready to make it happen. So where exactly is it? Is it in a beautiful little field outside of London? It's in a beautiful little farm just outside of London. So 40 minutes train ride south of Waterloo. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just going to be magic. I think autumn is a beautiful time of year. Everyone's like, why are you doing it in October? <laughs> you know, isn't it going to be raining? But I don't know if uh, anyone spent time in London in August, but it's also raining. So um, the, weather, <laughs> the weather's great right now. And, uh, you know, the leaves are starting to turn red. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be absolutely beautiful. It's just an excuse to wrap up warm, listen to some incredible tales and, you know, maybe, maybe plant some seeds for, for the rest of time for everybody attending. Oh, it sounds like an amazing trip. I wish I could, I wish I could get over. Um, but in London, um, I read something, I think, do you guys do a night of adventure in London as well? Is that, is that something where people get to speak about adventure? Is, are there a lot of those things happening in London? 
yeah there's there's an amazing community of uh of adventurous folk and people who are just interested in it if they're not partaking um in london and um i feel like i I, i've been all over the world in the last few years and i haven't experienced any city or area where uh there is this uh huge community of people who think adventurously so um yeah there's a lot of lot of nights of adventure tales of adventure i'm actually speaking tomorrow night in london which is thursday uh thursday 15th of october i'm speaking in west london for an event called inspire your adventure so yeah there's a lot of this stuff going on and there's there's a huge amount of interest uh, i think as people start to realize that getting outside is um is more akin to the human spirit than staying inside the walls mm, exactly but i mean obviously so you're an accomplished career adventurer how many miles have you got of non-motorized journeys and around the world under your belt um, well, to, I guess to sum up that project, it's called Expedition 1000. The idea is to do 25 different 1000 plus mile adventures and each one uses a different form of non-motorized transport. I've completed 11 of those so far, um, totting up just over 19,000 miles in the process. So not even halfway through the project, still got 14 more to go. And um, journey number 12 uh, has just been uh, just been launched really so uh, early december myself and my friend leon mccarran who's a who's a brilliant filmmaker he's a he's an irish guy but we won't hold that against him we're going to be walking over a thousand miles uh, around the abraham path in the middle east and we'll be the first people to complete the full through hike um before they launch it officially next year is I think, a, a walking trail to rival the Appalachian and the Pacific Crest. And for you, will that be the first thousand-mile walk? Yeah, for sure. So a every journey is using a different form of non-motorized transport, or at least means of non-motorized travel. So I haven't, I haven't done a walk yet. I haven't done a run yet. So, yeah, my feet are going to be put into action. <laughs> And, uh, and the Mississippi sub paddle, how did that fit in? What number was that? Uh, the standard paddleboard journey down the length of the Mississippi was journey number four. So before that, I'd completed a skateboard journey across Australia, which was the world's longest journey by skateboard at the time. Uh, and then I kayaked the length of the Murray River in Australia. And then I rode a tandem bike from Vancouver to Vegas with my friend Sebastian. And yeah, then, uh, then later in 2011, took to my stand-up paddleboard and started descending from, from Minnesota. Because back in 2011, stand-up paddle wasn't obviously as popular as it is now, four years later. So can you recall when you first heard about stand-up paddling? Yeah, well, you're, you're dead right. I mean, it's incredible uh, in the last four years how much the sport has grown. In fact, I think for the last six years, it's been the fastest growing recreational sport in the world. Um, but back then in 2011, when I started the journey, no one had descended the, the Mississippi River. And I had only heard about the sport a year earlier when a guy called Bill Kenwright, who had actually been following my skateboarding journey in 2007, um, He looked after Jimmy Lewis paddleboards in, in the UK uh, and sent me a demo board just to try out. And um, I loved it. Within 10 seconds, I remember thinking, I need to do a journey on this. Uh, it was just so simple. And <laughs> the funny thing was um, that first ride I'd forgotten or I didn't even know that I needed to put a fin on it. So I was wondering why the thing was turning so much. But even then I thought, <laughs> this is great. I can imagine I can imagine doing a big trip on this. And, and then I started thinking about it. Yeah, one of the things I love about it is it's a perfect vehicle for exploration. I mean, you can just see everything from a completely different angle. That's fascinating. Love stand-up pedal. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Out of out of every every way that I've traveled, every adventure, I think um, it's really hard to top the Mississippi as as my favorite uh, journey of Expedition 1000 so far, and and paddleboarding. Uh, was so much a part of that and I've, I've gone on to do a lot of other paddleboarding shorter trips as well I think it's one thing that I'll continue to do until the end of time 
Excellent. But why the Mississippi? I mean, there's the Danube, there's the Rhine, there's Thames, there's all kinds of rivers around the world that are closer or more convenient. Why, why the Mississippi? I, ju- I guess I, I wanted a challenge, and the Mississippi had always been on my mind from a young kid when I read read about Huckleberry Finn, and um, I, I think the, the Mississippi was a really mysterious river, and I, I knew not much about it, so... Um, when I started thinking about it, I was actually considering paddling from London all the way down to Morocco via the waterways in France, crossing the Channel before that, of course, and then uh, down the, the western coast of the Mediterranean before crossing over the Gibraltar Strait. But for some reason, it just didn't quite ring true with me. So I started thinking, OK, let's let's make this a little more simple, um, which has been another theme in my life recently, just simplifying everything and just just paddling source to sea down the Mississippi had a beautiful feel to it. Um, and regardless of all the warnings I had from people who, I guess, had just read about the Mississippi or heard bad things about it, um, I'm so glad I, I chose that option. Yeah, because, I mean, there can be a few dangers involved, I guess. Did you experience any? Well, this is this is the thing. You know, there's dangers in everything. Um, I, I, I've... You know, I've I've done a lot of these trips, but I think I've probably been uh, most fearful when I've been in a car driving around the M25. So, you know, paddling down the Mississippi, you um, you know, you encounter obviously lots of water, potential turbulence. There's the odd whirlpool now and then. There's a lot of industrial traffic on the Mississippi. The more uh, the bigger it, <laughs> the bigger the river gets, the bigger the traffic. Um, and there's there's alligators and things like that, and there's some snakes kicking around, but. Um, as it is, I didn't consider any of those dangerous. Um, you know, they're all just all just parts of the journey, things to deal with. Um, and you know, if you travel cautiously and sensibly, um, it's very unlikely that any of those things are going to grab you. Are there um, locks as such on the river? Yeah, there are. So there's 26 uh, walls across across the Mississippi. The top six are without loss um so the top 500 miles uh, actually if you look at it on a map it it's shaped like a question mark um and you've got six six dams in those first 500 miles between uh, the headwaters in lake itasca and minneapolis which is the first big city um and then once you get to minneapolis they they start having locks in which enables industrial traffic the barges to move up and down the river and then the the bottom lock is at st louis and after that you have um you have about 1800 miles down to the gulf okay that's that's unbelievable so how did you go about planning this i mean it must must have taken a great deal of preparation or did you just go in head first oh no i went in head first (laughs) (laughs) i don't i i actually think uh, it's been a while so i I think i just got my distances wrong but i think yeah the bottom thousand or so miles um from st louis down uh is free-flowing water more or less um so in terms of preparation i um i always just work out what what might halt the trip uh prematurely what might cause me injury uh, or worse and then um and then i'm just uh, it's usually just just mentally just readying myself to deal with those situations before it happens um i don't really look at any photos on any of my journeys or or videos um before i go i just want to experience everything fresh and be be ready to to uh, act without um without i guess uh, previous experience or or ideas i just like to experience everything super fresh um but what what i do do is uh write to write to people who might be able to offer a more enriching experience so uh it's an obvious one when you're on the water i, I try and find kayaking clubs canoeing clubs and uh and just say you know this is what i'm doing i'm coming on down i'd love to kind of maybe even give a talk to 
to your group or guys come out and join me on the water let's turn this into forest gump and um and then you know those just a few emails will will kind of start a telegraph working up and down a river and it definitely happened in the mississippi's case okay so that's how you get and then you get to meet people and they invite you into their homes and give you meals and all kinds of crazy stuff right yeah exactly i think it's people are, are so essential to all of these trips for me i i really like meeting people who who live different ways and um, and I learn a heck of a lot from that. And it's also really nice to be able to share the experience of a journey like this. As You know, the Mississippi is a brilliant case in point where, you know, I, I traveled down it having had no prior experience. I hadn't really paddleboarded a great deal before that. Um, I definitely hadn't paddled on the Mississippi before. And almost everybody I met on that river said, how are you doing that? You know, we've all we've been told since we were children is that the Mississippi's dangerous and we shouldn't go near it. And yet here you are from England just paddleboarding down it, standing up, no less. Um, and I, I really like kind of debunking these myths that seem to, you know, fester in our society. You know, anything that um, is considered slightly out of the box is usually, uh, you know, deterred. So... Um, I really like just just taking that and that's one reason that I don't prep I don't physically train um, quite often I don't even practice on the on the form of transport before I start a journey I think you know most things we hear that stop us doing stuff is absolute nonsense and the advice we get is from people who've you know never done that thing but without I mean obviously you have to plan insofar as how much gear you're going to take with and, and when you're going to eat and things like that so how do you, because you obviously can't carry all you're going to eat on your standard paddleboard. So how are you planning to do that and how did it turn out? For sure. As far so as the, food and gear go, yeah. Yeah, the journey in total took 82 days. So in terms of gear, I didn't need a great deal. I needed, a, I had a hammock that also double, doubles up as a tent. Um, brilliant hammock bliss sky tent if anyone's looking to, to take a hammock on their next journey. Um, then, you know, sleeping mat, sleeping bag, um, contact lenses, really important for me because I'm super short-sighted and without them, I, I'm basically just a mole. Um, okay. And then, uh, yeah, and then basic equipment. I had a little solar panel just to charge up my phone. Um, and uh, yeah, and then food. I, I just, as soon as I started, I, I looked, I got out Google Maps and, uh, and, and the river map that I bought in Minneapolis. And um, I just worked out how long it would be between the shop that I was at at the top um, of the river and and the, when the next resupply point would be. And I continued doing that all the way down the river. So Dave, did you, when you were mentioning resupplying, did you have somebody following you and resupplying you all the way down or were you just talking about stopping at a Kmart? Uh, no, I definitely didn't have anyone, uh, any any support or any anything like that. Um, I I just worked out how long it would be before I'd uh, I'd get to the next resupply point, whether it was a small town or a gas station near the river, um, and I'd I'd make sure I had enough food for that and a couple of residual days as well, and then I'd I carried a tiny cool box with me and. Uh, a little jet boil stove and and that was about that it was it was pretty simple uh, all the way down though I was supplemented I just met people fishermen people who were out picnicking on the on the banks of the river in parks um I'd come into a town now and then and people would just say why are you walking around with a really long paddle and uh, I just meet people in so many different ways and just I think out of the 82 days um 16 nights I was taken into people's homes fed showered um, and there were plenty of other days when I met people uh, just for a spontaneous lunch or snack. That's wonderful. Do you think that's a distinctly American thing? Because I think I know Americans are very friendly like that and welcome you in. No, it's not uh, distinctly American at all americans are super friendly and every journey that i've done in the states i've uh, whether on road or water uh, i've had a similar experience but the same goes the world over i think doing an endurance adventure uh, 
really refreshes your faith in humanity and it reminds you that people are eminently good um, and I think part of it is you know the the idea of doing a big journey especially under your own steam is is just really magical um, and it's something that I think everybody dreams or thinks about at some point in their lives but don't, don't often get around to doing it so when somebody does cycle or paddleboard through your neighborhood and you have a chance to get involved and just hear those stories um, I, th I think the next natural step is just just to be kind and try and support them. Um, I, I do it an awful lot now, um, you know, from from having experienced such kindness from people as much as I can. I'll, I'll help others when I when I see them come through. I think people must be truly inspired when they hear your stories. And is it part of your uh, game plan to to contact the media and the press on the way down just to to tell your story? Sometimes it depends. It depends on the trip. More and more, I'm becoming. Uh, I think my, my most important work is actually happening in between the journeys and um, a lot of that involves helping other people just kind of set off leaving their jobs and you know working out uh, what they need to do for their own adventure. The Mississippi, the Missouri trip and a couple of others I've, I've pretty actively kind of get, got in touch with the media and just said this is what I'm doing often because it helps raise a little bit more, more money for Copperfield, the charity that I fundraise for but more and more these, these trips are for soul food there you know I, I go on a thousand plus mile just so i can have a bit of a break um and uh and and just remember everything uh that's really cool to me and uh you know i think media can get in the way of that a bit i'll never turn down an interview if a journalist hears about the trip but um i i don't actively pursue it quite as much as i did not to say that i won't in the future i think each journey has its merits but um quite often i do uh you know pretty basic things that anybody could do and i just like sharing those on social media i really like telling those stories but i think as you grow more on social media and you get more followers i suppose the need for for traditional press evaporates a little doesn't it yeah, I guess I've always I've always felt that I've I've tried to structure this this weird adventure career around not being dependent on producing a product or getting um, any financial worth out of my journeys. I I do them because I think it they kind of sum me up. But um, I, I I just love sleeping in tents and pushing myself. Um, I don't think there's many of my trips uh, would count amongst the. Uh, you know the the most fascinating or or hardcore uh, endurance journeys, um, even even in the last ten years. But uh, that doesn't really really bother me. I know I can bring my own unique flavour to it, and um, with with the advent of social media, you know, there's a brilliant potential there to grow a crowd. And I have so many really loyal followers who who will buy my books when I release them and come to my talks and um and that's enough for me to be sustainable even now so you know the idea of that growing is just great i have to admit i bought two of your books as well thank you buddy <laughs> From, which thing. ones <laughs> well it was the date one which i thought was hugely entertaining i don't know how you managed to do that because it was looked like a psychological nightmare going through about 60 women <laughs> Probably yeah, it was about just... going through it was just dating <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds like a hugely entertaining 60 days or however long it was. Uh, um, and I read your other book about um, the, the trip in America. And what is her name? You, you named that bicycle something. Yeah, Priscilla the bike car. So that was, that was Life so, in the Slow Lane, which was, um, which was my last book, actually. I'm, I'm in the process of, of writing what's effectively a sequel to that. Uh, an update on on where I am and what I'm doing and how I think and um, yeah how I bring this weird life together 
And it's fascinating. And for all you guys out there, just I really recommend Dave's books because they're huge entertaining. So <laughs> looking forward to the next one. <laughs> Thanks. I didn't even pay you to say that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but clearly, it may not all be as fun as one may derive from your um, from your YouTube videos and, and your books. Weren't there times when you just thought about chucking it all in, especially on the Miss- on the Mississippi? No, never. Um, yeah, I think I. <laughs> it might, I don't. I don't know how whether that's a surprise to you or not but I I don't really plan too far ahead I plan one journey at a time and um and that just ensures that I'm I'm really there I'm in the zone and I'm in the moment when I'm getting ready for it um after yeah so I I I guess I I don't think I can plan for my future self you know you're going to go on one of these big trips and you know be traveling for a a few months and you're going to come out at the end slightly different slightly changed and um you know and I, I just couldn't imagine planning a journey kind of more than six months in advance. Even in between my, I'm really nomadic. I live out of two bags and even in between my adventures, I'm still always on the move. So I kind of, I'm always having that adventure, always being a little vulnerable in terms of where I'm staying, always me- meeting new people because I'm always on the move doing different projects, even if they're not endurance journeys. So um, I I really like being here and being now and, um, you know, I've, I've never felt the need to quit. If I ever feel like I'm tired or my body's breaking, then I'll just sleep and eat and um, everything feels better when you wake up. Did you have any of those days on the river? I mean, you must have felt like if you had flu or something or a back problem or like an arm arm injury or something after paddling a thousand miles, you must think, oh, do I really have to get up and do this again today? Um sometimes you're tired and weary for sure but um i never really push myself i don't um in terms of time i'm never racing anybody i'm i i the only records that i've got are because i've just chosen to do something that no one else has done before it's kind of that simple and with a distance i don't think there's any glory or grace in a distance record you just need to give yourself more time than anyone has before and eventually you're going to overcome their distance you know so um, it's, I don't really place a great deal of importance in the records that I've got um, or broken at some point. And, uh, you know, I, I really just love the journey. So if I feel like I, I need to rest, then I, I will. I'll stop and I'll leave my hammock swinging and, you know, I'll read and write a little bit that day. I'll maybe go into the nearby town if there's one close. But, um, but yeah, I just, uh, I, I just, I think it's, I, I don't really understand when people are doing a big trip like this, um, like, a, a big endurance journey and then give up at some point it just doesn't make any sense to me i think um usually that means that it's you know it's been decided upon for the wrong reasons and for me i'll i'll only do a trip like this when i'm when i'm physically ready for it it usually takes a, a couple of months after each journey to start feeling like that's the case and um i think only do stuff if you really want to do it you know there's no there's no need to to do anything but that mm. i mean there were two other guys paddling Almost at the same time as you went there, and that guy Matt Crofton, he wrote a book called Mighty, which I read as well. Oh, Matt was Matt's an awesome, awesome guy. I was paddling, maybe I was into day ten or so, and I hear this whistle, and then this man shouting, and I'm I'm alone on the river, and and up above Minneapolis, it's uh, you know it's really windy, uh, and maybe only fifty meters across. And I looked behind, and there was another guy on a stand up paddleboard. I I couldn't <laughs> believe it. 
Um, so I, I slowed up and Matt caught me up and we high five mid river and he just told me a story and he's an, he's an amazing guy. He'd, he'd almost died the year before he'd been in a coma for a long time and, um, and just miraculous that, that he survived and he was still physically, um, impaired in many ways. You know, his body was really slow. His immune system wasn't too hot, but he was just an absolute champion. And, uh, yeah, his, his book is brilliant. It's called mighty. I, I think if anybody wants a an inspiring, adventurous read, then then that's definitely the book to go and buy. Yeah, he's just about to get a publishing deal as well because I think he self-published it, mm. and uh, we're looking forward to chatting to him on SubFM's as soon as we can. So that's going to be fun too because it's interesting to hear about two different angles on that same year on that same river from the st- stand-up peddler. Yeah, I mean it was great. Um, it was great just to see somebody else on a board. You know, it's it was still pretty rare to see that back in 2011, let alone on the same stretch of river on the Mississippi. And Matt was traveling super slow just because of his physical condition. He was still recovering from uh, from from his illness the year before, and he, I think he'd started four years before me. But I hadn't. I didn't know about him. I. Um, he wasn't too hot on the social media at the beginning of the trip, at least. And um, so it was a total surprise to see him. Um, but but really magic. And we've yeah, we still chat. And I, I love that man. He's a, just a super example of a human being. Uh, excellent. <laughs> so what about um, whether, what about other some other standard paddle trips that you've done? Um, I saw a video about you going around Martinique. Mm. Well, uh yeah, I, I I took a team of, of five, including myself, around the Caribbean island of Martinique in December last year. And it was the first of a new project that I launched last year um, alongside Origin Paddleboards. And it's called Project Origin. The idea is to do 25 different stand-up paddleboard journeys. <laughs> is, this, is this sounding familiar? Uh, but each one is just 100 miles or more. Uh, so the Martinique rounding was the first one. Um, the other guys had hadn't done a great deal of paddleboarding, um, uh, at least two of them. Uh, but it was a it was a superb trip. It was really hard, actually. It's one of the hardest journeys that I've done. And you might think, oh yeah, whatever, Caribbean island, but um, especially the north and west west coast. We were uh, east coast, sorry. We were getting absolutely whacked by huge swells coming in from the Atlantic. Nowhere to land at all, um, just because there was there was no breakwater or or handy coves. So we we got tossed around quite a lot by the waves. And uh, in terms of, I've been teaching myself how to make films in the last couple of years. I think it's a beautiful way to tell a story. And if anybody has eighteen minutes to spare, I won an award uh, at, a, at the Wild Film Festival in in Southwest England um, for as best film for for the Martinique rounding. So that's called the Marty Circumstap on my on my Vimeo channel. Um, it's a fantastic video. I'll pop it into the st- and I'll embed it into the show notes as well, so you can watch it. But it's um yeah, it's really well done. It's beautiful. I mean, your videos are getting better and better every every year. Well, I guess that's kind of you know I I think whenever you do something for the first time, you're going to be rubbish at it. Um, and the more you do something, the more you improve. And I really like giving myself a purpose with everything that I do, and um, I, I see such uh, such potential in 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 sharing my my trips. Um, and other stories through film and I've got to a stage now where I'm I'm really happy with with the standard I'm at and uh, yeah I'm really proud of that film it's I think it, it really sums up adventure for me I just caught your um, your I don't know if it's your latest video but a little trip that you did with Alistair Humphreys down into Dorset this morning hmm. um, stand-up paddling as well and the quality of that was fantastic it really was amazing oh thanks very much it was um Al and I have known each other a, a long time. We're, I guess, we're part of this adventurous community in London, and 
um al's done some amazing trips long long journeys as well as his uh launching the micro adventures a couple of years ago but believe it or not he coming into this summer he'd never stand up paddleboarded before so i felt like we needed to rectify that so we went down to Durdle door uh off the south coast of dorset and and al had his first paddleboarding experience um apparently he wants to do it again um so he's you know, he's a glutton for punishment. Uh, but, I mean, he's a very accomplished man, but his sense of balance is just atrocious. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mentioned on social media to him, I said, yeah, you've got to do a sub-micro-adventure um, quite a while ago. Yeah. So it's nice to see that he's finally done that. Yeah, he has. And please, yeah, I, I don't know if you can embed that film as well into your notes, but um, it's quite entertaining. <laughs> the end, I'm sure I can. The ending is unexpected. We're gonna have a little film festival in the show notes. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave, um, have you got any sub trips in the in the future planned? Um, I will definitely be. I mean, I've got another twenty four hundred milers in in Project Origin, but then the next one won't be until next year. So I don't know what the next one is in short answer to your question, but um, there definitely will be more. And I, I absolutely love these Origin paddleboards. They are, inflatables are, are just incredible, you know, in terms of uh, portability, compactness, lightweight now. And um, I'm so impressed with the Origin boards. And yeah, they they, they sorted us out uh, around Martinique. Um, they're so versatile. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward just to packing one up and going off somewhere remote and doing a few trips next year. We were trying to get to um, a few Origin paddleboards for my trip along the Algarve next week. It's a 150-kilometer paddle. And, oh, that's um, still happening. Great. Yeah, that's still happening. Yeah. So um, I'm doing it with Spike Reed, actually, who went around Martinique with you. Yeah, so Spike's very familiar with the Origin board, for sure. Yeah, so hopefully we'll be able to get those. If not, we'll just carry on without them. But uh, it should be a great trip because they they do seem to be incredible paddleboards. Those they really are. You know, I've I've tried out a lot of boards in my time, and um, yeah, I'm super impressed with Origin. And I I don't really use anything unless it's unless it's really going to serve a good purpose for me. So, um, you know, when I tried out these guys' boards, and they they brought out a new iteration as well. So it's kind of like the the Apple Mac of of inflatable paddleboards it's just they they look absolutely beautiful now as well as uh as well as doing the job functionally i haven't seen them yet i think they're just launching at the, at the moment aren't they yeah they oh, are they've got this amazing cork covering so um i'd imagine there's going to be a whole bunch of them all over yachts around the world but um i'm quite looking forward to to getting my mitts on one and and going on another trip soon Excellent. Well, and Dave, all the best with Yesterville. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a huge success. Um, and, um, and hopefully we'll be able to chat to you again soon after some more stand-up paddle trips. Absolutely. And if, if I may, um, you know, if anybody is interested in coming to Yesterville the last weekend of October, uh, just visit sayyesterville.com and, uh, and grab a ticket now. Just have a look at the lineup. And seriously, if you want to say no after that, then <laughs> we, need to, we need to work on you. <laughs> I said to my daughter this morning, I said, what do you think Yesterville is? She said, well, it's obviously a festival where everybody says yes. Perfect. You see, it's so simple. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you.